There are several sad chapters in David's life. But this is one of them. Because at this point of his life, David is feeling inferior and acting inferior. And when I thought about this, I thought of the story of the man who went to his psychiatrist and he thought that he has an inferiority complex. And he said to the psychiatrist, I believe I have an inferiority complex. And the psychiatrist examined him thoroughly, gave him some tests, talked to him, and finally came to him with a diagnosis. And he said to him, well, I have one of those good news, bad news kind of a diagnosis for you. He said, the good news is this. You have no complexes. And the bad news is you are certainly inferior. (laughs) David here is acting and feeling inferior. Discouragement is one thing, but allowing discouragement to persist in our lives most certainly going to lead you to confusion and going to lead you into sin. Please hear me right. We all face discouragement. All of us face discouragement. Discouragement is like a garment. You can choose to wear that garment or you can choose to hang it up in the closet. Discouragement is like a bad companion. You can choose to walk with that bad companion or you can choose to bring that relationship to an end and part your ways. David, at this point of his life, chose to wear the spirit of discouragement. David, at this point of his life, allowed discouragement to be his companion everywhere he went. David, at this time in his life, elected to give in to the spirit of discouragement. The spirit of discouragement led him to trod in roads that he would never have trodden. The spirit of discouragement has escorted David into events and into functions that he would never have gone to. How did it happen? Well, David began by moping and sulking and feeling sorry for himself. And that is always a warning sign. Because when you begin there and you stay there, you're going to end up in Ziklag. Now, if those of you who have your Bibles and you got it there in 1 Samuel 27, I want you to put a circle around the word Ziklag. I'm going to come back to it again and again. Ziklag, and that is where you should not go. (laughs) If you allow the spirit of discouragement to persist in your spirit, if you let the spirit of discouragement continue to be worn as a garment... If you let the spirit of discouragement be your companion, I want to tell you and I want to warn you that the consequences are going to be ziklag. And that's not where you want to go. Listen to the note and the key by which David is singing his song. See how low that key is now at this time in his life. He has written several psalms. First was Psalm 10 verse 1. He said, Why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13 verse 1. How long will you forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And I want to tell you that whenever a person begins there... And begins to talk like this. That person is at the brink. And it's not bad to be on the brink. Because you can always go back. Because either you will get up. 
and take off the garment of discouragement and encourage your heart in the Lord your God. Or you will continue moping and sulking until you end up in Ziklag. Either you will be comforted in the God of your salvation, or you will turn discouragement into despair. Either you will say with Job, I know that my Redeemer liveth, or you will end up throwing in the towel and feeling with Elijah, I am not better than my ancestor, might as well take my life. Now, there is no doubt, as you read this passage, as you read the scripture, there is no doubt that David is going through a time of discouragement. The good thing about the scripture, the author, the Holy Spirit, when Wright tells us about other people, they tell us everything. Modern biographies are all puff. <laughs> they tell you all about the good things a person did, never tell you about the bad things. But not the Holy Spirit of God who authored the Bible. It tells us everything. He tells us David was discouraged. And we call it what it is. It's a discouragement. And discouragement comes to the best of us and to all of us. But what you do with discouragement determines the level of your faith. And David's discouragement came as a result of him looking around and saying, God is not answering my prayer. <laughs> well, just think about it. I mean, he had every reason to feel that way. He has been hunted like a mad dog by Saul. Everywhere he goes, Saul is after him. Everywhere he goes, Saul is after him. He had so much pressure on him. On top of all of this, he got 600 men with their families, and they all depended on David. And he began to feel that burden so heavy on his heart. He was discouraged. But please listen carefully. You either cast all your cares upon the Lord, or you let your cares cast you into despair. Either you lay your burdens at the feet of the Lord, or your burdens are going to sink you into the depth of depression. Either you hand your sorrows to the living and loving God, or your sorrows will hand you into confusion and ultimately into Ziklag. So David concluded, he said, well, he said, it is hopeless to keep trusting in God. It is useless for me to just keep waiting upon the Lord. Look at verse 1, 27, 1 Samuel. David said in his heart, be very careful what you say in your heart. <laughs> be very careful what you say to yourself. Scientists say we all self-talk. The moment you begin self-talking, get into the Word. Sing a song. Pray. Don't let yourself talk to you. You talk to yourself. And you won't be crazy about it either. <laughs> David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me to do, and I should escape at once, <laughs> right away. No time for praying, no time for delay. Escape at once into the land of the Philistines. Hear me right. You may be discouraged today, and you are saying to yourself, there is no use holding on. There is no use persisting. There is no use persevering. There is no use continuing to trust. But that kind of talking is going to put you on the road to Ziklag. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was known to be prone to discouragement. And one day, when he was battling both the emperor and the pope at the same time, imagine the poor guy, somebody came to him and said, Martin, your friends have just turned on you. 
And he really became discouraged and began to fall into the depth of despair. And he sought the Lord. And then finally he went out for a walk in the cool of the evening. And the Lord gave him an encouragement. So he comes home and he sits on his desk and he begins to write these words. He said, I have looked up in the night sky, spangled and studded with stars, and I found no pillar to hold them up, yet they did not fall. End of quote. Yet David comes to this erroneous conclusion that one day he's going to perish at the hand of Saul. Now, it is so easy for us You know, 3,000 years later to look back and pontificate and for me to stand up here and preach and tell you how bad David was and he was in the middle of it. When we're in the middle of it, it's not as easy. (laughs) I know all about it. In reality, Saul's fall was so close. It was so close. He has come such a long way and victory was around the corner. In reality, God's timing was so near for David. It is so close. Spurgeon, the great preacher of yesteryear, said the three times that he faced discouragement. One, immediately prior to a great victory. Secondly, immediately after a great victory. Or thirdly, when he was physically ill. (laughs) David has come a long way. And yet he begins to fail at the very last hour of his trial. He begins to fail at the very last hour of his waiting. He began to falter at the very last hour of his testing. I want you to notice one thing. When he talked to himself. And David said to himself. It's all over. I might as well go to the Philistines. He never once said I want to inquire of the Lord. (laughs) He never said well I wonder whether the Lord wants me to go to the Philistines or not. He never went on his knees and prayed, Lord, what is your will? What do you want me to do? He never sought the mind of God. And the thing that scares me to death sometimes is when I see people trying to do the work of God without seeking the mind of God, without seeking the will of God. And David drew his own conclusion. He used human logic. He used secular wisdom. And so he goes to the land of the Philistines, the enemies of God's people. And he goes to King Achish and he seeks refuge. Now watch with me please. What the spirit of discouragement can do to you and can do to me. Look at it with me. If you continue in the spirit of discouragement, see what it's going to do. But before I do this, I want to stop just for a second and tell you this. It is never wrong to be discouraged sometimes. So don't feel guilty about this. I know some people think, you know, you'll be dying and you say, you should say, oh, praise the Lord, it's fine, everything is wonderful. That's phonyism. (laughs) It is not wrong to feel depressed sometimes. It is not wrong to feel despondent sometimes. My Lord God, sometimes I look at what's happening in the world and what's happening in the church and I want to just cry to God in discouragement. But when it becomes wrong is when you live in discouragement for too long. It becomes wrong when you get to enjoy discouragement. It becomes wrong when you continuously keep on wearing the garment of discouragement. That's when it is wrong. 
Here I'll tell you a practical reason. Even beyond the theological reason, beyond the spiritual reason, there's a practical reason. When you're like this all the time, people don't want to be anywhere near you. <laughs> they see you coming and they said, here comes long face. Here comes sourpuss and they run away from you. But notice what happened when David follows through with the spirit of discouragement. When he lets the spirit of discouragement possess him. Notice what happened. He comes to King Achish. And what does King Achish do? Well, he puts out the welcome mat. He welcomes him in. (laughs) I mean, misery loves company. He welcomes him in. And the second thing happened. Saul stopped fighting him. Stopped running after him. Now, I'm sure some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, preacher, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a man getting some peace? What's wrong with a man getting a break? What's wrong with a man when he made a decision that gave him some peace of mind and some a break in life from the troubles that he's in? I want to tell you exactly what the problem is. The problem is that this kind of peace is a temporal peace. This kind of peace is a false peace. It's a fake peace. It is a look-alike peace. This kind of peace is not a lasting peace. This kind of peace is not a real peace. And the Bible said that sin is pleasurable for a moment. For a moment. Wait a while. And you feel the bite. When you begin to feel the sting. When you begin to feel and experience the consequences of that sin. Begin to feel the poison of that sin. You see, sin does not pay quarterly dividends. It may be annually and maybe actually many years before you begin to feel the consequences of your sin. Some people think that if they drink a bottle of Jack Daniels, they're going to deaden their pain. But what happened? You wake up in the morning with the same pain and a bonus of a headache. Some people think that if they take drugs, they will help them to get away from reality. Only to discover that reality, in addition to an addiction, has become their companion. There are some people who think that running away from their home, running away from their circumstances, running away from their job is going to give them peace. Only to discover that they have multiplied their troubles. As I looked at this passage, I wondered, who really got dishonored in this process. Who really got dishonored here? I tell you who got dishonored? The God of David. He got dishonored. The promises of God to David, they got dishonored. You say, how come? Well, God promised David that his enemies will be cast out like a stone out of a sling. And that is not because, you know, David one night just had a Mexican meal and woke up and said, God made me a promise. No. That promise was confirmed again and again and again. Samuel the prophet confirmed the promise. Jonathan the prince confirmed the promise. Even Saul himself confirmed that promise to David. And therefore, what David was saying really in the midst of his discouragement, what David is saying here in his depressed mood is this. God... Because you did not fulfill your promise to me in my timetable, I give up. God, you overpromise but underperform. God, you have kept me safe so far, but I'm not sure whether you really can keep me safe in the future. 
In reality, David was saying, God, you have protected me through some tough times, but it's getting tougher for you, God, right now. I can see that. (laughs) After all, God, you have given me a mind to think with, and a mind is a terrible thing to waste. (laughs) And my mind tells me, God, this intelligence that you have given me, that I'm going to use right now, tells me to run. (laughs) It tells me, Saul is getting close. It tells me that I have to act. If I stay, I look stupid. And God, you don't want me to be stupid. Let me warn you about being too clever for God. God doesn't like clever people. (laughs) Yes, he does give us minds to work with. But our minds have to be in sync with his mind. For the promises of God to be fulfilled. Not for us to run away with them the way we want to. It is easy. To get out of the place of testing. But when you get out of the place of testing, be very careful because you are getting out of the very place of blessing. And so David goes to the place of the Lord's enemies. He goes to King Achish. And King Achish give him Ziklag. Now what is Ziklag? Ziklag stands for idolatry. Ziklag stands for compromise. Ziklag stands for disobedience. Ziklag stands for temporal comfort and ease, but inner turmoil. Look at verse 3. That is a very significant verse. Because what it's going to show you, while you can skip through it if you just read the scripture, not carefully. But the author, the Holy Spirit himself, wants you to know the root of David's trouble. You see, the fruit does not come out unless there's a root. (laughs) And the root of David's trouble is disobedience to the law of God. Deuteronomy is very clear. The word of God is clear. Not to multiply wives. And David did. Now he's got two here and one back home waiting for him. Ahinom of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel. And Michael, Saul's daughter, is waiting for him when he goes home. He broke the law of God. Man, you can rationalize it any way you want. You can say, well, you know, he's been away for too long. You can say, well, these are circumstances. Well, this is this. Oh, look. Well, we all can do that. (laughs) But the word of God is clear. It says not to multiply wives, period. David did it. And when the compromise began... With it began David's downfall, although he didn't see it at the time. He could not perceive it at the time. He thought, well, God will forgive me. Some people think that you just go, that grace is license. You sin any way you want, and then call on God and he'll forgive you just like that. He does. He forgives us. But don't ever take the grace of God for granted. That's a sin. That compromise began back then. And all of this taking over refuge in the enemies of God's people's camp. Not inquiring and seeking of the mind of God and the will of God. Using human logic and using secular wisdom. Giving into the spirit of discouragement. All of that is the harvest of his sin of compromise. The consequences do not show up immediately. But be sure they will show up. These are the consequences Of the first compromise of God's law in David's life. 
But you know what? When David got to Ziklag, he's been going for a while now. From the human point of view, Ziklag looked like a success. <laughs> From the human point of view, Ziklag looked like uh, David. Things worked out for him. Man, the world's smiling to him. Boy, have David probably thought to himself, I wonder why I haven't thought about this before. <laughs> Instead of running around in all these desert areas, I could have gone here and I could have been treated well with King Achish. I wish I've done it sooner. Things look like they turned out okay for David. Houses and cars and camel-drawn cars, but money in the bank. Please hear me carefully. Devising your own plan may succeed in the beginning. Living in disobedience may not reveal the consequences immediately. Disregarding God's clear word may be accompanied by apparent success in the beginning. But wait a while. Give it time. (laughs) And you will see. Because sooner or later, you'll discover that one false step is not enough. Another must take place. Sooner or later you're going to discover that one deception is not enough. It has to be followed by another. Sooner or later you're going to discover that one lie is not enough. It has to be another. And so it is the case with our champion here, the man of God, the man whose heart after God's own, when he takes the matter into his own hands... And if you and I allow the spirit of discouragement lead us, it will lead us into sorrow, it will lead us into pain, though it might not be so in the beginning. Look at verse 8 of 1 Samuel 27. David begins to make his living by killing and stealing. And he comes to King Achish, and like a little boy, he wants to be praised for what he's done. And he said, see, king, look what I've done. And where did you go? And he said, my own people. I killed my own people. I robbed my own people. Well, he was lying, of course. He was not doing that. He was going to some of the other Philistines. Why? Why? Because David wanted to be accepted by King Achish. Because deep down he knew that he is not pleasing the living God. That his sin has not been accepted by the living God. He wanted King Achish favor because he knew deep down in his heart, in his inner being, when he is in a nakedness before God, that God's favor has gone from him. And out of guilt, he would go out and kill and steal and come back and he lies about it. All of this so that he would find acceptance. So that he might find favor in the eyes of a pagan king. That's what happen When a believer starts stepping out of the will of God. He begins to seek the favor of men. Not the favor of God. He wants to please men. Not please God. And I want to tell you, please hear me right. I'm going to be very careful of what I'm going to say, but this is absolutely the best example I can think of right now that every one of us probably is aware of. And it is this. That's what guilt does. 
The reason why the homosexual community works so hard and fights so tenaciously to become accepted in society. The very reason why they want church leaders to sanctify their abomination and their lifestyle by ordaining them into the ministry. The reason why they want society to bless their vile acts. And the reason is because guilt. Guilt because deep down these men and women who are created in God's own image know that their lifestyle is an abomination unto the Lord. It is unnatural and they want church leaders to sanction what God could never sanction. They know that. And they're deep down they feel that guilt. So they look to anyone who would say it's okay. They look to anyone who's saying what's well, an alternate lifestyle. They look to anyone who would say well that's really your business. But because of the nature of guilt. Acceptance is not enough. So the next step that they want. Not just acceptance. Promotion of the lifestyle. They want to be treated as an elite But that's not going to be enough. You see, nothing is enough when guilt is seething in the conscience. Nothing is enough. And the person who gives in to the spirit of discouragement will not sit still. Sooner or later, they will discover, in paraphrasing Red Path, they will discover that they have exchanged the smile of God For the grin of Satan. And seek the acceptance of people. Any people. They have exchanged the protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the flimsy wall of defeat. They have exchanged the trust in the provision of God. For the walls of Ziklag. Which as we'll see in the next message. Is going to burn to the ground. Completely burn to the ground. David said in His heart. Be careful what you say in your heart. God is listening. I want to conclude by telling you about another songwriter. A modern day songwriter. This man saw the hand of God in his life. So instead of following in the spirit of discouragement... Instead of following through in the spirit of despondency. Instead of following through in the spirit of loss of hope. He turned around. One of his most familiar hymns is entitled, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Which has been a source of comfort and blessing to many people. But there is an incredible story behind that song. This song was born. Out of trying circumstances, out of difficult time in this man's life, William Cowper is the writer. And one day he sunk deep into despair. It was a result of grief and disappointment. And finally, one day, he called a cabbie with a horse and buggy. And he called that taxi and he asked him to take him to the Tower of London by the River Thames. Because there he was going to commit suicide. He was going to jump off that bridge. And after driving around, it was a very misty night. So after two hours of the cabbies driving around and driving around and driving around, finally he confessed to his passenger. He said, I'm lost. Disgusted and frustrated by the delay. 
Cowper left the cabin. He was determined that he's going to walk all the way to the river on foot. And walking just a short distance, he discovered that he was in front of his own house, on the footsteps of his own home. The horse and buggy has been going around in the middle of the mist, going around in circles, because he can't see. Immediately he recognized the restraining hand of the Lord in his provision of turning the events around. And convicted by the Spirit of God, he realized that his way out of trouble is not death, is not suicide, by repentance and turning to the Lord. And with tears streaming down his cheeks, he began to hand his burdens to the Lord. And then, as he cast his burden upon the Lord, he began to write these words that have strengthened many believers through many years. God moves in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings in your head. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.